you never forget our launch. We're getting down to T-minus 15 seconds. Where it is that there's clear skies, you should be able to watch the launch for a while. The control center is a couple of kilometers away from the actual launch pad. Three, two, one, zero. We have main engine startup, and we have liftoff of an ILS proton rocket. Let's listen. When you look on the screen, you see the rocket being released and starting to go up, but you hear nothing. It takes a number of seconds for the sound to arrive at the control center. It's a little difficult to see due to the fact that this is night in Baikonur, but at about 10 seconds after liftoff, the rocket You feel the noise wave and the vibration coming from the launch. Such an amount of power is, is impressive. You'll never forget it. For Proton, it corresponds to about Mach 1.6 and occurs one minute, two seconds after liftoff. Hi everyone. Today we're going to geek out just a little. Because on this episode, we're talking SES-17 with our Vice President of Technology Programs Management, Paul Van Gelder, and our Chief Technology Officer, Rui Pinto. Welcome to Satellite Stories. I'm your host, Christina Smith-Meyer. We've referenced something called SES-17 a few times in our podcast series, including the episode we shared with our CEO, Steve Collar, at the start of this year, But this time, we're going to dig a little bit deeper. We ask, what is SES-17? And what makes it different from our existing geostationary satellites? And what can our customers and partners expect once it begins its journey of orbiting Earth? You see, the launch of a new satellite is always a big deal here at SES. It can take months, if not years, and hundreds of people and tens of partners to turn these projects into a reality. But there really is something quite special about SES-17. It's the most advanced and largest geosatellite ever procured by SES. It'll weigh over 6 metric tons at launch, and will have a wingspan of 48 meters. I mean, that's taller than the Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio de Janeiro. Plus, it'll be the first geosatellite to use ARC, or ARC, an industry-first software system, something Paul is going to tell us all about later. But let's learn about what that'll mean for coverage and latency speeds for our customers moving forward, whether on land, at sea, or in the air. It's something so much more flexible with huge thanks to a brilliant collaboration with our partners Talas Alinea Space. Let's find out more as we join Rui Pinto, our CTO, for a very quick video call. I started by asking him to explain what SES-17 is all about. So SES-17 is, is a big satellite. It's a multi-mission geostationary satellite that weighs over six tons when fully loaded with fuel. Satellites like STS-17, contrary to our new satellites, which are more of a production-like type of satellite, 
SCS-17 and other big geo-satellites, they are almost handcrafted. They are manually assembled, built, and carefully tested. And it is a sight to see, you know, more than, I would say, certainly at least 500 people, if not more, have been working on it for quite some time, for years, to put it together, test it, make sure it works as designed, that it provides all the services that we need it to provide, and then we launch it. Um, so you said SES-17 is a big satellite. How much bigger is it than the usual ones we shoot out into space? If you compare with other geos, SES-17 is one of a kind because it has a DTP, it has huge capacity. It's certainly bigger than maybe 10 to 20% bigger. I don't have an exact number, but it is big. It would look like a double-decker bus when it's folded before it opens up. And when it opens up? Uh, well, uh, from toe to toe, uh, or from tip of solar array to tip of solar array, it's almost as lengthy uh, as a football field, which is quite impressive. Uh, so big is definitely the appropriate word there. <laughs> exactly. So on, um, on satellite stories, we've talked about HTS satellites in the past, but... SCS-17 is a VHTS satellite. Can you tell us about what that means and how different that is from other SES satellites? We love to create acronyms to differentiate uh, uh, our services, and VHTS is one of those acronyms. What it actually means is that the digital transparent processor on SCS-17 is the latest generation digital processor that Thales has developed and it's going to be flown uh, on SCS-17 for the first time. And VHTS means essentially that you can focus power and frequencies in particular spot beams. So what do you do with HTS and VHTS satellites? Instead of having a large coverage area, say Europe or the North Atlantic, uh, with one beam, you can move power and frequency between those beams as you need, as your customers need. And if you reduce the size of the beam, you can provide much more capacity. That's why we call it VHTS, very high throughput satellite. So what, what, what is SCS-17's mission? What's it going to do once it's up there in space? SCS-17 covers the Americas and covers the North Atlantic. It is a multi-mission satellite. That's one of the reasons why it is you know, a large satellite. The priority will be to work with uh, Thales Avionics and provide essentially uh, connectivity to planes so that you, know, you can have streaming on planes, you can have your email, you can not sleep on a continental flight if you don't want to. And when exactly would, would this service be up and running? We are working hard to make sure that we launch SCS-17 alongside another satellite uh, from the French government, in fact, the Syracuse uh, military satellite. Uh, once it's launched on an Ariane 5, we then do an, what is called an electrical orbit raising, i.e. we use the electrical thrusters on the satellite to slowly raise its orbit so that it reaches its final position. And we take a whole month 
or a little bit more to make sure that everything is fine, that the, all the onboard systems are performing as expected. Remember that the launch environment is very harsh. Uh, the rocket vibrates a lot. Uh, you are going through extreme pressure and then you are out in space with extreme temperature variations. You want to make sure that everything is working as designed as you tested it on the ground. But by end of May next year, SCS-17 should be providing service to planes and to other uh, customer segments as well. We expect and are working with our partners on the ground, HNS, Usenet, Tours Systems, and Gilad, to provide fixed data services, mobility services, maritime services, and IRO services for which it was originally designed for. The advantage of a digitally processed satellite like SCS-17, it is multi-purpose. You can serve many different market segments, many different customers all over the Americas and the North Atlantic. Thanks to Rui for getting us started. We'll hear more from him in a moment. But first, let's recap what we've learned so far. Number one, SCS-17 is a powerful KA, very high throughput satellite being built by Thales. Number two, it's the most advanced and the largest telecommunication satellite ever built by Thales. And number three, it is also the very first SES satellite with a fully digital payload. But that's not all. Let's take a step even further into the world of satellite technology as we talk to Paul Van Gelder. He's VP of Technology Programs Management, a chap who really knows his stuff. So Paul began by clarifying the role of something called a DTP. This piece of kit is at the heart of SES-17's success. It stands for the Digital Transparent Processor. And what that means, well, first part is, I guess, obvious. It's, it's digital, so instead of having um, RF switches and, and anything like that, it's, it's fully processed. And the transparent part just means the signals that we're sending to the spacecraft and, and back down, they're not being processed on board. So in that sense, it's like what we used to call um, bandpipe satellites. So whatever goes up, goes down. There, there's no demodulation or anything fancy on going on board the satellite. But in reality, what it, what it means, it's just a big uh, switch, meaning we can switch any uplink to any downlink, any gateway to any user beam, any to any, basically. And we can create small connectivities of three and a half megahertz up to much lar- larger you could consider it a very large switch on board of the satellite, basically. So then just to clarify, what exactly is the main reason or advantage to implementing a DTP on board the satellite? I mean, why is it special? Well, um, for instance, without it, you have to design on the ground a certain connectivity, for instance, from, from this location to another location. And once the satellite is launched, you cannot change that anymore. So meaning you may have had a market forecast where you think, well, this is what we're going to sell. And, and maybe we will sell it in the first few years, but then market demand changes, but we cannot change that connectivity. But with DTP, if, if the customer goes somewhere else or the traffic goes somewhere else, we, we can fully adapt. So that's, that's the main point. One particular thing that SES-17 will be able to do is work with O3B in power. So obviously there's a lot of information that you would be able to share with regards to SES-17 and O3B in power and how it all works together. So 
if we just take it down to the basics, why is that important? And how, how is it going to complement O3B and power? So and the, the different orbits that you can put a satellite in have different uh, pros and cons, right? The geostationary, typically the coverage is, is, is large, but then the latency is more because it's further away from the Earth. For O3BM power, it's it's the opposite, right? Latency is better, but the coverage is, is in a sense, more narrow because it doesn't go all the way up north and, and south. So if you combine the two orbits, and the first example of that will be SA-17 and O3BM power, you can define solutions that take benefit of both. So depending on, on the location of, of, for instance, a customer, we can switch between the two and provide uh, maybe low latency service in a certain area, but then still provide a good service outside the O4BM power area. There are also more creative uh, solutions where, for instance, it makes sense to do forward direction traffic uh, over the geostationary satellite, but then do the return traffic over the O3BM power constellation. So there's a lot of creative solutions by combining the two assets where we can actually take advantage of, of the pros of each orbit without suffering from the, the negative of the orbits, basically. We've talked about, you know, what SCS-17 is doing up there in space, but what is going on on the ground? Quite a lot, actually, because the fact that the satellite is, is so flexible, that the payload is so flexible, to benefit from them, from that, we also need to be flexible on, on the ground. And that means we are developing, you could call it smart controller, we call it ARC, it stands for Adaptive Resource Controller. That's sort of the brains on the ground, and it, it does a couple of things. Dynamic management and control of, of different kinds of systems. It can also optimize the performance. And then it also allows us to be future-proof for whatever is coming with assured and orchestrated service in the, in the future. But at the moment, uh, to start with the first one, so the dynamic management and control, what it means, for instance, if one of our gateways suffers from rain fade and we want to switch over to another, so we need to reconfigure the payloads on the satellite. We need to reconfigure the systems on the ground that keep track of all, all the carriers. We need to reconfigure the gateways and we need to do this in a, in a way that's well orchestrated to avoid that we may switch something on the payload while the ground isn't ready. And an ARC will allow us to do all of that. So it will, for instance, monitor the weather and it will do what we call now casting, which basically is, is weather forecasting, but, but really in the short term, like the next 10 or 15 minutes to make all kinds of predictions. Does it make sense to um, switch this gateway because rain is coming to another place, but maybe rain is coming there as well? Or what's the hardware status? So there's a whole bunch of intelligence in that system that allows us to benefit from the, the flexibility we have in space by basically managing the ground accordingly. The easiest example is to switch uh, from one gateway to another, but there's, there's many more things it can do. Then for certain servers and applications, it also allows us to um, orchestrate the services. And that means uh, manages in, in a way that everything works well together. For instance, different vendors who may need supplier for certain um, services. Different domains, for instance, the terrestrial network, the space domain, of course, the ground domain, and make sure all of that works well together and adapts to what's needed in an automated manner. So that's that's what ARC and other systems allow us to do on the ground to benefit from what we have in space. ARC will also help with the operations of the O4B Empower constellation. So all of that is in development. Integration and testing is ongoing, so certain 
elements have been tested and, and verified, but it's basically under development at the moment. I, like many of you I imagine, have only ever seen a satellite launch on TV while sitting on the sofa at home. I can see now the image of that rocket waiting patiently for its instructions. I can hear that sound of the countdown in French and English. And the silence that follows, where everybody wonders, uh, is everything okay? Did it work? Can we celebrate yet? So needless to say, when it comes to catching up with my colleagues who are lucky enough to see a launch in person, I always have a ton of questions about what it's really, really like. Naturally, as part of his remit, Rui, our CTO, will play a major role in the launch of SES-17. So while I had his attention, I was curious and a bit cheeky and asked about the plans for the launch later this year. Fortunately for us, Rui was a good sport and more than happy to paint a picture of what the proposed schedule involves. So we are going to launch SCS-17 on an Ariane 5 uh, rocket uh, from Kourou in French Guiana. It will be a dual launch, so there will be two satellites, SCS-17 and uh, another French satellite, CRQs, that will serve the French military. Uh, both satellites are on the same schedule. Actually, both are manufactured by Thales Alinea Space, which makes it slightly easier to coordinate. Uh, as we ramp up to launch, we have to make sure that the launch campaigns on site are well aligned, the fueling of the spacecraft, the latest checkout of both spacecraft are done, that they are integrated into the fairing on top of the rocket. SCS-17 goes on top and Syracuse Cruz goes below it. And that everything is ready. It's it's always exciting to launch a satellite. You imagine both for Syracuse Cruz and for SCS-17 that a lot of people worked years for that moment. And you're always double-checking, triple-checking that uh, everything is absolutely fine for for the launch. We have launched with Ariane many times. It's always exciting to be in the control room, do the latest checkouts, make sure that the satellite is at the right temperature, that the batteries are fully charged, that all the systems are up, that uh, both satellites are what is called a goal for launch, so that everything 100% double-checked and triple-checked for both satellites. And, and you always have, you, know, you have butterflies in your stomach. It's a... Uh, stressful but at the same time it's a release because you know there it is it's going into space and you never forget a, a launch one thing that you do remember is because the control center is a couple of kilometers uh, away from the actual launch pad so when you look on the screen you see the rocket being released and starting to go up but you hear nothing because it's two kilometers, it takes a number of seconds for the sound to arrive at the control center. And not only the sound, but the vibration on the ground. So it's, you never forget that you sit on the screen, it's going up, but you hear nothing until you, you, you feel the noise wave and the vibration coming from the launch. Such an amount of power is, is impressive. You never forget it. The tension in that room must be <laughs> unbelievable. 
Well, what I like to remember is the release of the tension when the launch is successful. <laughs> so actually, when can you celebrate? Is it once it's going up in the air? Do you have to hold your breath for a good two minutes, 20 minutes? What are we talking about here? There are phases, right? First, you celebrate the fact that it's off the pad, it's on the right path. The first stage has burned and separated. You only really relax when you receive telemetry and you send the first command of the satellite and the satellite is by itself. That's when you sort of relax and it, it will take a good hour to get there. Of course, you are, you know, at each stage you feel relief. But when you are separated, you send a command, you receive telemetry, you think, yeah, I can go and uh, open the champagne bottle, do a nice speech, thanking Ariane and our partners, and uh, let the ground crews in Betzdorf and Cannes take it from there. And then you can have a good night's sleep, because I'm guessing the night before you don't really get much, eh? Uh, no, no. Uh, and there's always a couple of speeches, and sometimes they throw people into the swimming pool in the hotel and so on. <laughs> you know, when that stress relieves, you have to be careful so that you don't end up wet. <laughs> <laughs> so then I'm just going to ask one last question, Rui. What are you most excited about when it comes to SES 17? Good question, Christina. The industry, our, our industry is changing, right? It's being disrupted. SCS 17 is one of a kind in the sense that it has the latest DTP, it's multi-mission, it's really large. What I'm excited is that in the end, it heralds the end of an era of big geosatellites and the start of another year of smaller, more software-defined satellites in MIU, GEO, and in LEO as well. So it's a, it's a sign of the times that we are putting SCS-17 in service successfully and at the same time moving on to more configurable, smaller quicker to manufacture satellites. That's what excites me about SCS-17. It's a sort of divide between two years in the industry. So what's going to be keeping you and the team busy once SCS-17 and O3BM Power are launched? Ah, we are thinking about the European Commission initiative, about having a multi-orbit architecture. Uh, we are thinking about replacing some of our geosatellites. The, 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 there is no shortage of things that are going to keep us busy. I can tell you that. But uh, it, it's a little bit like when when you're playing uh, in, in a tournament. You want to think about one game at a time. Uh, you know, SCS-17, Empower, 19.2 East. And then we'll see w what comes next. There will be no lack of excitement. I can tell you that. We want to thank Rui Pinto and Paul Van Gelder so much for joining us today on this special episode on Satellite Stories. And although we've only touched the tip of the iceberg when it comes to SES-17, there's loads more information out there for you to learn about this project. We'll be sure to keep you updated on what happens after its launch in coming episodes. More specifically, it'll be brilliant to cover how it's been used and its impact. But until then, please do follow this podcast so you're notified the minute the next episode is released. And I promise you, the next one, it's a goodie. In the meantime, for more about what we do, visit ses.com.